Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of High School Not So Much Musical. This is the second part of the two-part series with Mr. Greg Prino, where we go more into depth about his experiences in the Air Force as a lawyer and also running for political office. Make sure to check out the first part of the series and also Mr. Prino's podcast, The Greg Prino Show, which will be linked in the description to this video. Thank you all and stay tuned for the podcast right after this. This is High School Not So Much a Musical, a podcast that takes you on a ride to the peaks and valleys of a high school journey. Here are your presenters, Nitin Jaladanki and Ayush Agarwal. Yeah, like that's really different from going to like um, university because mm-hmm. you just like, you want to be good at one specific thing and that's what you're going to major in hopefully in college. But like in the academy, you have to be good at everything. Otherwise, like you're not going to get in. So um, if you guys can't tell already, uh, Mr. Crino, he sort of does it all and he's literally done everything. So uh, now we're going to transition to the politics and law school side um, of him. And uh, he left the military and went to law school. And the question I have for you is, could you talk about how that went and why your interests, they diverted from flying in the sky all day to wanting to sit at a desk analyzing the U.S. government? I know it was a tough decision because I love I love flying airplanes, um, and I'm of course I'm doing it now. But the the reason for me started in after my first assignment in the in the Air Force. So my first active duty assignment, where I was done with my training, I was a fully qualified A10 pilot. I was in Korea, so I was stationed in South Korea at a base called Osan Air Base, and it's about an hour and a half drive south of Seoul, and when I was based there, I really had the time to uh, to learn about the Korean War and why we were there, and I got very interested in public policy. So I I knew at that time I had about I think seven more years in the Air Force where I was going to be the the instrument of of military power, and when I was done, I thought, well, I I would like to actually be the one who helps to shape those policies and. The best way to do that was to get into politics and the best way to do that was to go to law school so that was where all that started was my first assignment in korea and then it just grew from there i was always a news junkie i was watching cnn and fox and all in reading as much as i could and just learning about the world and just it was just that that thirst for knowledge that kept kept me going i always enjoyed learning and i think um Again, it was more born of the idea of I wanted to be the one that helped to shape international policy. So that's that's what led me to law school and politics. <laughs> okay, so you've talked you just talked a lot about politics. And um Ayush and I, like last summer, we were part of this like internship called Rishi Kumar for Congress. And in that internship, we spent a lot of time with phone banking, so calling up constituents in the area and like talking to them about um, the candidates' policies. We also spent a lot of time canvassing, dropping off flyers and stuff like that. So could you talk about your own experiences running for political office in Arizona? What exactly you ran for, how you campaigned and what ended up happening? And also maybe some of the lessons learned from all of that. Sure, so I I was living in in Tucson. So I was based in Tucson flying the A-10. And when I applied to all the law schools around the country, I got into, I think, three of them. 
And one of them was the, Univer the University of Arizona Law School, which happened to also be in Tucson. So because it was about the same quality of schools the other, as the other ones that I got into, I decided just to stay there. And uh, I had a lot of friends in the area, and so I had a lot of roots in Tucson. And so I ran for, um, actually, I was in my third year of law school, and I, I had a friend also in law school who we had a lot in common as well. He was an Air Force guy, and he was into politics as well. And I told him, I'm like, hey, I'd like to run one day. And he had had a lot of political connections in the local party. So I said, hey, I'd like to go to a meeting and just, just get to know people and see what the process is like. And so I went to one of those meetings and met some people and they liked me and they liked my background. And they said, you know, you know, we don't have anybody who lives in your district who's running, you know, would you like to run? And I said, well, you know, this is a little bit early, but seeing as I was still in law school at the time, I was in my third year. And they said, well, we'll help you out. And you, you've got the background and we like you and we think you'll do well and give it a shot. So I did. And I ran for a state Senate in in Arizona in 2010. And it's a state level office. It's not a, it's not US Congress. So it's, it's to, um, to help it's for the legislature in the state of Arizona only. So if I had gotten elected, I would have made laws that just applied to the state of Arizona. So I originally uh, put in for the Arizona State House. And then about a month or two into my campaign, there were two independent candidates who ran for the, the, the state Senate side uh, in, in my same district. And we had nobody of my party running for state Senate either. Usually you run for the quote unquote lower level house. And then you, after a, a year or two, or a, um, what do you call it? A couple years of experience, then you're gonna run for Senate. Well, because there were two independents running, and one person of the other party running, I thought, well, these people might all divide up the vote <laughs> because they're all kind of have the same philosophy of government. I was the only one who was a little bit different. And so I ran a write-in campaign to uh, jump over to the Senate side. And I got enough signatures to do that and then ended up running for uh, state Senate um, in Arizona. So I did went to a, a few debates. I had a, a lot of um, meetings where I was trying to raise money. I, I went house to house to get signatures to, again, ask for money as well. I was on TV. I had a, P, a, a debate on PBS. I was on the radio a few times. Um, it was really quite an experience. Met a lot of people. Um, you know, unfortunately, I, I did not win. I was in a district that was pretty heavily weighted toward the opposing party. And just the there were just too many uh, people of the other party that uh, I think I, I just couldn't overcome that. So uh, ended up losing that losing that race, but um, again, it was pretty overall pretty positive experience. There are some negatives as well. Um, I could talk about those. I said probably the the negative part was just asking for money. You know, I'm not the type of person that is used to asking for uh, a, a lot of help, and especially asking for money. It just feels kind of gross in a way. It feels like I'm I'm having to sell something, and in a sense, you are you're selling yourself. So that was a little bit tough to just ask random friends for 50 bucks or hundred bucks or whatever. Um, and I'd say the other hard part was the debates weren't really genuine debates. They were debates that were organized by an interest group. They had pretty loaded questions. And usually it was an interest group that I generally was not aligned with because I was in such a district that was heavily weighted toward the opposing parties. Most people that I talked to 
did not agree with me to begin with. And so it was a pretty uphill battle. A lot of times um, I had to, you know, they would ask questions and they would just give me 30 seconds and then they would give the opponent 30 seconds and there was never any back and forth. You could never actually kind of argue your point and, and clarify things. It was just very mechanical. So I think those are the frustrating parts, but the probably the best part was people genuinely wanted to know um, how I felt about issues and I, I could actually sort of flex my muscles, if you will, in terms of what I knew. And I could actually provide some input that would affect the state. And I met a lot of people who, even though I didn't win, a lot of people were like, hey, you know, you should run again. And, you know, and maybe we would support you on the next on the next run. So um, that was really um, helpful. And, and just a lot of people out there who would just throw down their, you know, they would give away their whole weekend to help you. And people who didn't really even know me, but believed in me would, would go house to house for a whole weekend with their kids to get signatures. It was really amazing the dedication that people had. So that was the positive part. So I, I enjoyed that. Yeah, it was really interesting hearing about what you had to say specifically on politics, especially um, because just the community we live in and specifically our school is so um, politically active because uh, we have a lot of political clubs at our school, like there's the political and environmental activism club, I think it's called, and there's also the political discourse club, and all these clubs are able to provide like the students at our school with a gut understanding about how the world works from a political and economic, economics perspective. Um, so that actually results in a lot of students from our school, like going out and participating in like activism and protests and stuff like that, which um it can really help change the world for the better uh so if you could talk a little bit about you know uh veterans because veterans you, you technically are a veteran as uh you previously served in the air force and veterans day was last week and i personally believe that our country doesn't has has kind of lost sight of its veterans we don't give them as much as good treatment as we should, in my opinion. That, again, that's just my personal opinion. But if you could literally, if you could talk about your own opinions on uh, should veterans be treated better, worse, um, kind of your experiences as a, as a veteran, have you had gotten any, any help from the government due to any, you know, injuries you might have suffered in battle, anything like that? Sure. So my, my experience has actually been very positive. I think it might also be because I was in the Air Force in my prime during 9-11. I was 20, let's see, I was 26 years old on 9-11 and I was an A-10 pilot and I was fully qualified, ready to go. And in the town I was in was pretty supportive. We had a big base there. And so when I'd go off base in my uniform, I, I, I had people who would buy me lunch randomly. <laughs> Um, we, we do get, we do get a lot of great benefits in the military. I've, I've had, I get veterans discounts. I, I get, I get treated very, very well. Um, I think as far as what our country should do, I think I would keep it about the same personally. Uh, and again, this is just my personal experience. Uh, it depends on where you go too. I think in maybe certain areas of the country where there's no military presence, maybe a veteran wouldn't get treated quite as well because they're so different people can't identify with that 
lifestyle and maybe all they know is what they've what they've seen on TV or they're kind of going off of stereotypes. Uh, but for, for me, it was, it's always been, it's always been very, a very good experience. Um, and even within the military, I get treated pretty well as, as well. Uh, you know, being a, a fighter pilot, I think we were sort of at the, if you could, for lack of a better phrase, sort of at the top of the heap, you know, that's the whole reason the Air Force exists is because of airplanes and, and obviously pilots fly airplanes. So I, I, I think, I think I've been treated pretty well. And I like how the country uh, does, does treat us. Now that said, I can see how if you're quite a bit younger and maybe you weren't around during 9-11 or you didn't experience some of these things firsthand that it, our country might go in a direction where we don't quite have the same feelings about our military as we did in a time of conflict. So that, that could be a reflection of, of um, just the changing times. And so I think it's important for veterans to, to speak to younger people to say, hey, you know, life wasn't always this peaceful. There are people who have gone through great tragedy and had to, you know, had to sacrifice a lot for things to be how they are and uh, don't take that for granted. So I think it's certainly important. I'm not asking to be to be worshipped. I don't expect a discount. In fact, I get irritated when there have been a couple of veterans in my life that have expected a discount. You know, they've expected to be treated well, and they get angry when they don't. And that's really that's that's even more offensive to me than somebody who just doesn't really care about veterans. I'm like, I don't. You should never expect expect that. You know, it's you should be doing this for the right reasons, which. Obviously, we have our personal reasons why we're in the military, and that's great. I have my personal reasons. I love flying airplanes. You know, that's that's fun for me. It's not really work, um, but we, you know, we do have. You know, we can get called up at a moment's notice. A few years ago, I was told to go to the Middle East for six months, and there's that that was an order. I couldn't just turn it down. I couldn't just quit. So people are. There have been a lot of sacrifices made for things to be this peaceful, and and, and yes, I think it's important to pass that on. At a very minimum, that's what we should do. So we've already we've obviously talked a lot about your life. So we were just I was I was wondering if you had any questions for us, for Rishi, Ayush, and I about our experience with anything concerning the Air Force or any of your hobbies for us. That'd be great. Sure. Yeah. What? Why did you initially want to interview a veteran? Was it because of do you have a family, anybody in your family who's veterans? What was the initial uh, spark that caused you to, um, to, to want to have this type of interview? So like one of the main reasons we started this podcast was because we wanted to help high schoolers just understand the different types of jobs that are out there. And uh, just for some like backstory, the school that Ayush, Rishi and I go to is very, very STEM focused. So everything is about getting the best grades, getting the best SAT, ACT score, getting into the best college and having the best job that gets you the best money. And that's sort of just how our school is structured and what everybody's working towards a common goal. But seeing that there's so many different types of jobs out there, because we've interviewed so many different types of people on this podcast, stemming from like nutritionists and eating disorder specialists to congressmen to um, standardized test experts. We really just wanted to get, we really wanted to tell people about the different types of opportunities that there are out there. And we're actually, we actually talked last week to a child actor who's one of my very close friends. And he's Indian. So there's obviously the 
preconceived notion from his parents and from his relatives that he has to go into STEM. So when you think about, when he thought about it, he wanted to go into acting. He's been very into movies since like a very young age. So we, the whole point of the podcast and the reason that we would love to have you on and the reason we wanted a veteran was just to kind of inform people about the opportunities that are out there because we're kind of getting into a world where everything is STEM. It's all about engineering, all about medicine. So knowing that there are people on the front lines who are fighting for our country out there, we need, we obviously need more people to keep continuing to keep up the work that you did in the past. So sort of just about informing the people that are listening to our podcast, which are primarily high schoolers. What's, I have one more question. So how are, how are your um, parents or your, or your family or whoever, how do they pressure you to be in a certain field or are your parents just you guys personally are they pretty open how how is your relationship with them in terms of what they want you to do for your career so I think my parents have given me a lot of freedom in pretty much like every aspect of life like they're always telling me to like go do stuff on my own they don't they obviously make sure that I'm keeping up with my grades and everything but they're not like rigorously checking what all homework I have every day and making sure I get it done but like they're they're making sure that I do stuff on my own so I kind of like learn like the independence aspect of life so I think that's really helped me out uh and they're like kind of taking the same approach towards like my career they're letting me do whatever I want which I'm super super grateful for because it means I can really find what I'm actually passionate about instead of just having to go into something for you know the money um but I do know of a lot of like Asian parents or even just parents in general who uh pressure their kids extremely to go into a certain fields or certain professions. So um, I think that's also like a big stereotype that exists, which I think for a lot of families is sadly pretty accurate. So Rishi, do you want to talk about your experiences with it? So mine is quite similar to um, Ayush's. Uh, like in my family, like my dad, he went to a good college and he'll give me guidance and he'll give me like information about what he thinks will be the best for me but like inevitably he's not me Uh, but he is like he's very like considerate towards like all this stuff and he gives me a lot of guidance but he still believes it is like or both my parents they both believe that it's my choice in the end Uh, but luckily what I want to do it aligns um, similarly what similarly what they did and what they want me to do so all kind of works out well but like like Ayush says that's not the case with a lot of like parents now like they uh most of the parents in our school they were um immigrants and they came here like to give their children a better life and um they like they want them to be a doctor they want them to be like a software engineer like like fortunately we don't have that but um other students might yeah i think that's i think that's great and that's important um was there one more of you guys that had had something to share a little bit about it too yeah sure so i think that like i've had a lot of support from my parents in general because i've always like started from middle school itself i've told them straight up i don't want to do what you're doing because i really don't want to be sitting at a desk from nine to five o'clock on my computer responding to emails writing code being in meetings i want to live like a more active lifestyle where i'm the one making the huge huge decisions which is one of the reasons that like I'm so into business and into finance and starting my own companies and stuff like that because you have so much more power. And like one of the great ex- examples of this is um, in the summer of 2020, I attended this like incubator for um, 
creating your own business. And that's what Ayush was talking about, about my drone startup, which is like Comet Drones. And the whole thing that we focus on that is there's high schoolers who are really into drones, like I was at a very young age. And I'm assuming you've probably flown a drone with like a DJI or even like a very cheap one off Amazon. And there's like thousands of those options. And everybody has flown a drone at least once in their life. But the problem is you probably crashed it. You're probably sitting in the back of your garage in some box where it doesn't even work. So taking that own problem of mine and starting my own company and being the head of it helped me gain a lot of understanding for what it takes to be like a good leader. And I think that because our parents were kind of pressured into the situation where they have to move to the U.S. for a better life, they were kind of forced to go with whatever the stereotypes were, whatever life took them. But since our parents have come to the U.S. for a better life for us, we obviously get to define our own future. So my parents might be software engineers and my mom was very against and she's still very apprehensive about me going into business, finance, private equity, economics, everything like that. So it's a very difficult situation where, because the thing is they don't, it's not that they don't think that you're not going to succeed in it. They just don't see the opportunities or the vision that going into the industry does. So that's one of the very interesting things that I personally experienced. Luckily, my dad is very accepting of what I want to do. So that's just my personal experience with career paths and stuff like that. Yeah, I think I think that's great. I think I think it's a delicate balance. I think parents want to provide input, and they should because they have more life experience than than their kids do, but they don't want to dictate. So I think guidance is the key, but dictation is obviously too much. And so I think what's the most important is that a your kids are good people. They they have character. They have integrity, and they have discipline. And then you can work on just overall skill building if they are suffering in a certain skill you want to help provide support there but i think you're right as far as the the end goal that needs to be dictated by the person who by, by you and it needs to be dictated by the person who's going to be experiencing that and i think that i think that's great i think that i'm glad to hear that your, your parents have provided again a little bit of guidance and they're supportive of you and they're not telling you what you should be doing because that that would just be miserable. And that only causes, I think, kids to run the other direction. And then they have no guidance. Now they don't have any parents at all. <laughs> so it's, um, I was lucky. My, my parents were always supportive of what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to get into flying and um, they, they, I think the best thing that my parents ever did for me was provide me space. They, they didn't, tell me what I should or shouldn't do, but I was getting my work done. They were hands off and I was always in control and I always knew that they, they loved me and, and I think it, it really helped. So uh, that's good. I can tell you guys, you guys are really smart. The fact that you're doing this and you're starting your own businesses and I mean, just knowing what you want to do and, and you're happy about it and you're going a direction at this age is fantastic. So hats off to you guys. Yeah, I feel like it's really great to have at least some sense of what you want to do when you grow up. Like, it doesn't have to be super specific, but at least just knowing like what you're passionate about it will really like help guide you and strive for what you want. So the next question I have for you is that obviously, like you've been in the military, law, politics, and airlines. So how have you managed to learn so many new skills and pick up so many new interests simultaneously? 
I think it's a it's an innate curiosity, and it's also I I made it known to people what I was going to do, and so they knew that they were not surprised. So if I was not going to be available on a certain weekend to do something fun, they knew what I was doing. So I think telegraphing people ahead of time, this is what I'm doing, this is the, this is the direction that I'm going, and being very clear about that. It helped to clear out my social calendar or it, it helped to kind of take the um, the external stressors away. Um, so then once I had the space to, to operate, then I could concentrate. And I that's that's just what I did. I I would go home at night and I would study for the LSAT, which is the prepper, the prep exam to get into law school. I, I told my boss that I was doing that. So if he saw me late at night in the office doing something he knew what I was doing and it was okay with him um, and then while I was in law school everybody knew that I, I had to dedicate my weekends to studying and so I did so I think like I said innate curiosity that that's tough to just teach either you have that or you don't uh, but I'd say the first thing I did was communicate it clearly to the people that were in my close social circle and then that helped to um, to create the space for me to focus then after that, once you have that, once you have space, then it's just on you to, to actually do it. So you just have to schedule the time. You have to know what time of the day you're at your peak performance. And I knew for me, it, it, again, to this day, my peak hours are always like mid-morning, anywhere from 9 to 11 a.m. If So whatever I really want to accomplish that day, I know that I have to do it between those hours for me to, to be the most effective. Um, so time management was a big one. And then it was, um, after that, it was just finding people ahead of me. So once you had the space and the, the, the time management, then I was always a step ahead. So I would find a person who had a class before me or had done something before me. I would just call them up and pick their brain for an hour. Like I would say, what do I need to be aware of? So I think it's really important to not, not reinvent the wheel. There's many people before you who have done most of the things that you're trying to do. So don't waste time trying to teach yourself when you can just talk to somebody for an hour. <laughs> you know, it, it's most of the stuff in the world that you want to try has been done. So find somebody, learn from them, and then that'll free you up to do things that nobody else has done. So a lot of it's just uh, efficiency. And I was just very good at being efficient. I don't think I was much smarter than the average person. I mean, maybe in high school I was, but when I got into college, I felt very average. Even in the Air Force, I felt very average but I was hyper, hyper organized and fun. And I think that's why I was effective. And that's why I could move careers effectively and do well. So we're hearing the 45 minute mark. So I think we'll close it off with this podcast's infinite, sorry, not infinite, infamous tips question where you've obviously done a lot in life as Rishi mentioned, and as we've talked about through this podcast. So if you wanna give the high schoolers that are watching this episode, just a couple tips on your best life advice. What would those tips be? I would say a, a couple of things. I would say have a hard conversation with yourself about what you're good at and what you're not good at. And it might even be things that you just don't like about yourself. And you don't have to share that list. You can sit there and write it down. Just take an hour to do it. Find the things that you're, you're not good at or you're good at. And look at this, 
things that you're not good at and put a check mark next to the things that you can actually affect and change. And I would start ticking them off and changing them. And if you're unsure about that, go by what you're afraid of. Just write down what you're afraid of. And I would say address those fears as early as you possibly can. And, and the better you can look at yourself as a project and improve yourself, everything in your life will be better. It'll be easier. So if you find, if you find that you're socially awkward or you have a hard time engaging in conversation or whatever, great, note it and tell yourself, you know, I need to fix this. And if that means talking to somebody else who can help you or reading books or YouTube or whatever, start fixing it now. So I would say, number one, again, fix the things that you're not good at as early as possible. And then number two and number, th number two, I would say you need to become an effective communicator. So you need to learn um, a mastery of the, of the language. You need to learn how to, um, if you can speak in front of a crowd, that's probably the number one fear that I have to this day. If you can speak effectively in front of a crowd, you are worlds ahead of so many people. You can be the smartest guy in the room, but if you can't communicate to a crowd, you're just not gonna go anywhere. So I'd say that's a big skill. Um, and then another skill, this is more, again, I'm a, I'm a guy, so it's probably more male focused, but know how to take care of yourself physically, whether it's a physical confrontation, self-defense, something like that, that builds confidence. And you don't need to be an MMA fighter. You don't need to be a professional boxer. I'm not talking about that, but you need to have a reasonable level of physical confidence. And the reason is that when you have confidence, then you, you can, you can, you, then you can communicate. You, you can, you're not, you're not afraid of other things. And, um, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's look at yourself like a project and, and start fixing it because how you are right now, you're, you definitely have value. You have a ton of value, but you're not who you're going to be. You're, you have not fulfilled your potential at this age. And it's up to you to, uh, to make that happen. So start now. Okay, thank you so much, Mr. Crino, for all your amazing knowledge. And I think that you've inspired a lot of people, not if not from our school, just from all our uh, listening base to look at the opportunity to join the military right after then with, they're done with high school. So thank you so much for your time and for our listeners. Thank you so much for listening. And keep on the lookout for brand new episodes with one with a uh, marketing director at Google, a person dealing with out, outreach and partnerships, as well as one from a child director. And also, I want to give a quick shout out to Mr. Crino's podcast, which is the Greg Crino Show. He's had a lot of really cool people on there, like astronauts and many other people with many different types of jobs. So definitely check it out. We'll make sure to leave a link to his podcast in the description of this video. So thank you, Mr. Crino, so much for your time. And we'll see you next time. All right, uh, Rishi, Ayush, and Nitsi, and you guys are fantastic. I really appreciate you having me on. Take care. Thank you. That's our show for today. Now roll the credits. High School Not So Much a Musical is hosted by Ayush Agarwal, Nitin Jaladanki, and Rishi Sinha. Narration by Samhit Kadala. Music from Louis Luang Relaxation Cafe, Tune Pocket, and Infraction. If you like the show, please recommend it to your friends and family. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.